Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. You might wonder what middle schoolers and superheroes have in common. Stay tuned. Our guest is going to share. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I am Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being our listeners and supporting our sponsors. Middle schoolers and superheroes have a lot in common. It might not seem like it. Superheroes are strong, confident, and powerful, and middle schoolers are awkward, unsure, and plagued with pimples. It takes a special person, I think, to look at a middle schooler and think superhero. And today's guest most definitely is a special person. Phyllis Fagel is a school counselor, mom, and one of our favorite Envoy's guests. She is the author of Middle School Matters, which we talked about a few years ago. And now her new book is Middle School Superpowers, Raising Resilient Tweens in Turbulent Times. As she notes in the intro to her book, middle schoolers and superheroes both get catapulted out of a world they know and sent on a jarring and occasionally scarring journey. At the start, they're strangers to themselves and can feel as if their own bodies have betrayed them. Welcome, Phyllis. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of your podcast. I love this idea, superheroes and middle schoolers. I had never previously seen any parallels. You know, it's funny. I was watching a clip from the animated film, Spider-Man Into the Mm Spider-Verse, and it just perfectly captures it. It's actually how I opened the book because you've got this 13 year old from New York named Miles Morales and he gets bit by a radioactive spider. He's walking down the hallway and all of a sudden overnight, his pants don't fit. He's sweating profusely. He can hear everybody talking about him. And he says, oh my gosh, you know, this must be puberty. And it really (laughs) struck me, right? You can't blame him for getting confused, confusing supernatural superpowers with puberty. Right. Mm. When you put it that way, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a perfect parallel. And then you go further and you made me think further. I've been digging into this book and, you know, anybody who is even vaguely familiar with the superhero story, you don't have to be up on all your Marvel movies, all your Spider-Man. But, you know, superheroes, they generally encounter obstacles along the way. And, you know, then they have to learn about their superpowers and learn to control their superpowers. And you point out like middle school is kind of like that too. Yeah, it really is. You know, they're superheroes in the making, but they do have to learn how to acquire and use their superpowers, use them for good and use them to come out actually stronger than when they started and encountered all of those, you know, sinister forces or ups and downs that are inevitable in that phase. 
this quote in your book, I have to say, I kind of, and, and listeners, you know, if you feel yourself having heart palpitations during this conversation, because you're remembering your middle school or junior high school years, as it was called way back when I was there. Um, but this quote, tweens operate in a complex social system and must solve problems in the absence of life experience or perspective while in the throes of puberty and with brains that aren't fully developed, <laughs> catapulted me back to seventh grade. And recognizing, like, I had no help. I didn't know to go and ask my parents, like, why aren't the other kids in my class talking to me right now? I felt so alone. I didn't have a teacher to confide in. I wasn't in sports or clubs or anything, so there wasn't that. I felt like I was on my own island. No one else was having the experience I was having. And it was scary and scarring, as Jen said. I mean, obviously, it's like, oh, my gosh, I remember those times. And we also moved in the middle of seventh grade, add to some scarring and middle school trauma. Oof. Oh, that does Man. sound rough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And actually, when I talk to people, you know, everybody is essentially a former middle schooler, whether you called it junior high or right. <laughs> it was some other configuration. But even the people who had a really positive experience in middle school remember feeling very overwhelmed. I just think it's so much change at once. And for pretty much everybody, you're taking taken out of that world that you know and expected to somehow know how to navigate it on your own. And that's why I wrote the book, because Kids don't have to do it on their own. And adults who may not even have the skills their kids needs can acquire them alongside their, their kids. Thank you for saying that part because, you know, we're going to dig into some of this. But as I was reading it, Janet, I was kind of having the same reactions you were. I'm like, huh, nobody taught me that. Where you're saying middle schoolers can't. I'm like, yeah, probably me too. Like I should work on developing this skill. I mean, I'm at midlife and I definitely do not have a lot of this stuff down. And I think the last few years have been so hard for everybody <laughs> that we've all become really aware of whatever gaps we have in our coping skill set. And suddenly we really all understand why it's so important for us to be able to roll with the punches and just keep putting one foot in front of the other, no matter what's going on in our own world or in the greater society at large. So let's talk about tweens. You know, that one sentence was such a great roundup of like tweens. And then you're like, and they're all like that. And then we put them in a building and we somehow expect things to go well. They're shocked <laughs> when it doesn't. But let's sort of describe a typical tween, so kind of some common characteristics. And then I'm really curious in your experience, the tweens that are coming up right now that will be in middle school, perhaps in the fall, their experience has been very different from previous generations because of oh, hello, pandemic, and all these other things. So kind of help us understand what tweens typically look like and then what may be a little bit different now. Yeah, so when I wrote Middle School Matters four years ago, it was intended to be this comprehensive guide to everything that a middle schooler needed to really navigate that phase gracefully or at least a little less ungracefully. <laughs> and what happened after that, as we all know, is that within months of my book coming out, the pandemic hit, at the same time, we started to see so much incivility in society. We had a war breakout in Europe. We had a huge uptick in school shootings. And the list goes on and on. 
needless to say, that impacted all of these kids, especially given the fact that a good chunk of them were taken out of school and were learning solo, were often learning while surrounded by a lot of ambient stress in their household or by parents who didn't have any time to really assist them as they were learning because they had to work. And there was this sense of disconnect from all of their peers. And we know that middle schoolers, tweens, their number one prerogative is separating from parents and identifying more with peers. So the kids in middle school, and my own child was in that group, he was in sixth grade when everything shut down, they were pulled out of that situation when they were surrounded by peers right in the midst of when they needed it the most. So the younger kids, the ones who are coming up now, also didn't get a chance to work on all of their skills. And so suddenly the kids that I work with, and I'm in a K-8, so I've seen all of the ages, suddenly all of them were more sensitive. And we know that all tweens are sensitive. All tweens are vulnerable. All tweens are insecure. All of them are impressionable. All of them think they can change the world with a well-worded petition and want to. All of them are looking for autonomy and independence. Only all of a sudden it was that, all of those characteristics, but on steroids. I've been calling them extreme tweens. And mm -hmm. so I wrote this book because my hope is that if we can round up uh, an arsenal of strategies that really help these extreme tweens, we'll almost have like a universal design for social emotional learning. My belief is that if it works with these extreme tweens, regardless of their backstories or personal histories or skill set, it will work with tweens that come after them. It will come sure. work for tweens that are growing up in less, you know, combustible, tumultuous times. And so that was really what I was aiming to do with this book is, is figure out what those skills are that kids need to thrive now and hopefully it will help them throughout their lives. Ah, I really like that because, you know, Janet, what you were saying, like you definitely didn't get this kind of support going through middle school and I certainly didn't, but I also maybe didn't need it as much mm -hmm. because the world was not as turbulent as it is now. Could I have benefited from learning more of these skills? Yes, but maybe I didn't have the same degree of need for this level of intensive support because I didn't, I didn't go through a global pandemic and nobody in my neighborhood or school was shot. Or social media didn't have oh, it. That too. That, that too. too. That too. How does that play in, Phyllis? You know, when I write about social media in the book, I really try to capture the nuance and it really comes up in lots of different ways. It comes up when I'm talking about developing super bounce or the ability to bounce back from a mistake or a disappointment. It comes up in super vulnerability when it comes to, you know, finding support. It comes up in super optimism, which is about retaining hope and humor in the hard times. It comes up in super belonging with regards to things like online bullying and all kinds of mistakes that kids make online that get in the way of their friendships. And what we know is that they're spending an enormous amount of time online survey after survey shows that kids are online almost constantly. So their online lives and their offline lives are bleeding together. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been teaching tweens to do and encouraging parents to teach their tweens to do is to take a really critical view of how they're using technology and how they feel when they're on, how they feel when they get off, if they are surrounded by people who are elevating them and lifting their spirits or people who make them feel excluded and less than and curating their use in a way that actually works for them and setting themselves up for success. No tween does well when they have technology in their bedroom and can text and 
go online late at night, Mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. Speaking of curating, it's about curating real friendships also and helping our, our kids curate those friendships. I'm a family coach and I have so many parents worried about their sons because they, quote, don't have friends. And yet when you ask the boys, they say they do have friends. And I think this is true for men too. We were actually, we're talking about it just the other day about adult male friendships. Like women are just, you know, we talk to each other constantly and we're in touch, but a male, a man might say, oh, this is my best friend. And he talks to him, you know, once a month or twice a month and that's it. And that's a friendship. So I want to dig into how do we help our boys curate good friendships, beneficial friendships, and, you know, talk to the mom who's trying to get her son out the door to be social, to be involved. So, and I say this, I have three kids and two of them are boys. And so I have that parent lens that I see this through as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think parents first need to understand that boys don't necessarily approach friendship the same way that they do. That doesn't mean they don't prioritize their friendships. It doesn't mean they're not enormously important to them and that they care about them and that they want real authentic friendships, but they're up against a whole different set of societal expectations. And that's something my students tell me and my clients tell me as well. Can we also recognize, uh, really, it starts becoming more apparent in these tween years. Boys mature more slowly than girls do. So if you are trying to compare the level of interaction of a, you know, 13-year-old girl to 13-year-old boys, it will likely look different for that reason also. Oh, in every way. They fight about different things. I've seen middle school boys get into massive fights over who is better at video games. Oh yeah. Really things that seem very dumb to a lot of grown women, especially, Mm. but because they are wired to be a little bit more competitive because they travel in these packs and they want to, they don't want to drop a notch in the eyes of their friends. Those things take on an outsized importance. And boys also are, because they're less mature (laughs) or less skilled, I should say socially, they are more likely to just stand next to a group of people talking and assume that they're part of the conversation, even if they're not saying anything. They actually need a lot more explicit help around what is a conversation, how do you enter one, what is an appropriate way to enter that conversation. If they tell you that they can't wait for summer, what's something you might say in that moment? They also need a lot more help interpreting feedback often than girls, not Mm -hmm. to overgeneralize, but they might immediately jump to the worst case scenario and be quicker to anger. Whereas girls tend to suppress some of that anger. They shy away from conflict more than boys do. But boys can find themselves in a conflict before they've even had a chance to try to figure out what that person actually meant. So getting them to slow down and really think about what are some other possibilities can help them too. So what are some helpful ways that parents can, first of all, reframe our expectations maybe for what friendship and social interactions might look like for tween boys? And then how can we support them in developing their skills? More in just a moment about boys and friendships. But first, these messages from our sponsors. 
I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is, deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A.com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. You know, I think you have to work with the kid you've got. 
and every kid is different. And so if let's say you have a kid who really struggles socially, maybe they have ADHD and they miss a lot of social cues and they're just a lot for one friend, that kid might be better off having lots and lots of hangout time in a more structured way and brief bursts of socializing mm-hmm. with lots of different people, maybe through sports or through outside of school so that they're not overburdening any one kid, but they are working on developing those skills. A lot of the kids that I work with, boys that I work with, tend to go straight to video games because it's less pressure than Mm -hmm. interacting face-to-face. So if you have a kid who's struggling and they're avoidant, you want to be looking for comfortable ways for them to flex that social muscle and acquire those social skills. If you have a kid who is really gregarious and really social and likes to be around kids all the time, they might be, you know, just off on their own doing their thing and not need a lot of support. So really recognizing what your kid needs, what they want for every boy that is a little bit lonely and would like to connect more. I might work with another kid who is quite happy spending a lot of time at recess alone you know, walking around, checking things out, or sometimes kids are really social during the day, but when they go home, when the parents are wondering why they're not making plans, that's when they need to recharge. They're more introverted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I love all of your examples and all of the the nuances. And I think one of the most important things to remember is what Jen said about maturity. It is going to take them longer to be confident broad generalization, to be confident in their friendships and to expect these rich friendships as a 13-year-old might be a little too much expectation. (laughs) They might just connect over video games and that's enough, but also being aware and watching and helping them develop their social skills and giving them a script sometimes like you said, how to enter a conversation. Jen, why are you laughing? Because the idea (laughs) that 13-year-old boys are going to have deep, intimate, rich friendships is just absolutely hilarious if you've ever spent time with a group of 13-year-old boys. And I'm not saying they can't have deep connections. They do. You know, Janet, Phil is for you. My youngest is now 17. So he's official teen teen. And I mean, he and his friends still do a lot of stupid stuff. But he will tell you, There are certain people that like, you know, are there for certain things. So they do also, you know, they do also support one another when needed. But I, as the mom, am not necessarily going to see that. I think that as the moms, we are more likely to see and observe things that make no sense to us than to see some of the the good supportive friendship stuff. And Phyllis, I'd love your input on this. The way a 13-year-old boy supports another 13-year-old boy It's not going to look like the way Janet's going to support me if I'm struggling. That's true. You know, I think that I'm thinking about my own voice as you were talking and thinking back to my now 21-year-old's middle school years. And I can remember, and I don't think he would mind me sharing this, that he really didn't want to be the host. He didn't want to invite people to his house. It was a Mm -hmm. lot of pressure to have them come over. And yet he was incredibly social and wanted to be around people all the time. And his friendships were very important to him. If I had just scratched the surface, I might've thought, why is my kid not having anyone over? And why is he withdrawn when he comes home from school socially? 
he wasn't withdrawn. He was online engaging with people, probably in all kinds of inappropriate ways. In fact, much later on, he told me the best thing I ever did for him was not give him social media in eighth grade when he wanted it because okay. he thinks it wouldn't have gone well. He's now 21. He makes overtures and hosts people all the time that our middle school boys are not the final product. As mm -hmm. I say in the intro, their brains are still developing, their skills are still developing, they're still figuring out who they are, what they need from a friend, what they can give to a friend. And our job really is to help them ask the critical questions and approach all of their relationships with a bit of curiosity rather than judgment. And if we see them hanging out with kids who are making poor choices, to ask them about that or to ask mm -hmm. them what reputation they would like to have. And if they think that their friendships are furthering that goal, or if it seems like they're lonely and they're surrounded by kids all the time to dig deeper, because a kid who says they're lonely or who you can tell is lonely may not be lonely in every situation. They may be fine at school, but lonely on their travel soccer team where all the kids go to the same school, but it's a different one than theirs. Mm -hmm. Or they may be fine in any kind of structured social setting, but have a horrible bout of anxiety when they walk into the cafeteria and have to figure out where to sit and feel lonely in that setting. I want all of our listeners to reflect back on what Phyllis said. Middle school boys are not the final product. Mm -hmm. Take it back to the superhero analogy. Think of any kind of superhero or heroic movie you have ever seen, but not the later part, not the middle part of the movie. Think about the beginning of the movie when they are a mess and they are floundering, or floundering around. If you're old school, think about, you know, one of the original Star Wars where Luke is not getting it and Yoda is utterly exhausted and sick of him. That's where you are. Mm -hmm. That's where you are. Your son may still save the universe, but you can't give up on him. It's about supporting. It's about helping them develop. And part of that, too, is not to worry forward. Just, mm -hmm. you know, reassurance, reassurance. Don't think about when he's 21. Listen to Phyllis. Her 21-year-old son is doing brilliantly. So it does change and mature and grow. So if you're in those tween years, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. And if it's hard for you to have that kind of perspective, think back on your own middle school years. In fact, <laughs> when I talk to former middle schoolers, ACA everybody, sometimes they're relieved to know that their brain wasn't fully developed because it gives them an out for some of the dumb stuff they did, as opposed to thinking, gosh, you know, wow, I was like a big liar or cheater or whatever it is that they did. Yeah. And everything that we are learning, including our own values, is changing over time. I want to talk about this in the, the lens of your super bounce superpower. This is the ability to learn from mistakes. And if there is one thing we can be sure of, it is that middle school boys will make mistakes. Absolutely guaranteed 100%. And I'm going to do a little spoiler alert here, but your chapter on Super Bounce starts with the story of two eighth grade boys who deliberately convinced a girl that one of them liked her. Then that boy asked her out in the cafeteria she was a little unsure, but they convinced her and it turned out the whole thing was a joke and they laughed at her. And this is the kind of thing for us as parents, especially parents who really want to raise good boys who are respectful humans. That's the thing that a lot of parents and educators see as just calling for like strict 
punishment. You absolutely cannot. Tell us a little bit more about that and why maybe holding on to a sense of grace, you know, how we can help our boys learn from this instead of, you know, crucifying them. Yes. And I think one of the misconceptions about giving kids a path back is that there are no consequences. And I'm really not saying that there are no consequences because you do want to have a little bit of shame and you do want to have that accountability so you don't make the same mistake again. The trick is to get that balance just right because if you're too harsh or too punitive, especially if the consequence doesn't match or have any Mm. kind of logical connection to whatever the mistake was, that kid is going to get stuck in shame. And I say this all the time, but every middle school boy wants to do the right thing wants to be seen as capable and kind and compassionate. They do not want adults to think poorly of them. And it's really easy for them to get stuck in that shame when they make a mistake because they're impulsive. In the first instance, it's why they make those kinds of mistakes or they're trying to be popular and they think it's funny and they don't think ahead. It's why there's a whole other chapter on super sight or the ability mm-hmm. to do some anticipatory problem solving. And we want them to learn. And we don't want them to get so stuck and so paralyzed that they can't learn. And so once we have that consequence, once we have that discussion, we need to be giving them a way back to being a good kid in our eyes. Mm. And I love that story. It was actually a real story from a middle school in New York. And the principal had the same reaction I think every one of us would have, which is to say, what are you thinking? What's wrong with you? What kind of person does that to another kid in your class. And what I share in that story is that when he hauled those boys into his office and was about to let them have it, he happened to read a tweet that I had posted the night before or a couple of days before about a similar situation in my own school and how I had wanted to just berate the kid who had done something pretty cruel. And when I started to be critical, I immediately saw that the girl I was talking to got really rigid she didn't let down her defenses mm-hmm. and it wasn't working. I wasn't getting anywhere. So I changed tactics. And instead I said, were you your best self? And that's what I had posted about. And when I tried it, the girl let down her defenses, started to cry, said no, and really wanted to know how she could make it right. So he took a deep breath too, started over and said, do you think you were your best self? And he had the exact same experience I had. The boy started to cry. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. They wanted to make it right. And that gave him that in, in order to be able to help them repair the damage they'd done. Wow. That is powerful. Were you your best self? I found myself thinking about that this morning. I journal in the mornings and I was like, are you your best? Are you behaving in a way that is, you know, basically representative of your best self? And I'm like, no, no, I need to make sense. <laughs> And no one is their best self all of the time. Yes. Yes. And maybe us uh, having the uh, humility to recognize that in ourselves may help us be a little bit more compassionate with our children. And sure, you can berate and you can shame and you can ground and create distance and create hostility. You also mentioned later, I think it was in the same chapter, you wrote about a boy who was getting up in the middle of the night to play Fortnite. I'm sure there are listeners going, yes, yes, my kid does this. What should I do? (laughs) 
um, getting up in the middle of the night to play Fortnite, and we all know how important sleep is. Like, we get it. I can also see why kids do it. You put a, you know, limits on, and they're like, well, mom and dad are sleeping. Now's my chance. So the parents, determined, I'm sure, to support their kids' development and sleep, took the controllers, put them in the truck, locked the truck. The kid broke the windows of the truck. This is exactly the kind of thing where every parent that I interact with in real life, most of them would be like, you just need to show him who's boss. That's not really helpful, is it, Phyllis? Hear how Phyllis addresses this all too common issue after a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit. 
with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A.com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. So I quote somebody who's an expert in adaptive leadership in that situation. And he talks about the difference between a technical solution and an adaptive solution. And what that parent did by locking the controllers in the car is come up with a technical solution, but they didn't solve for the root problem. If you want to solve the root problem, you have to figure out what need that's serving and help come up with a better way to meet that need. So maybe they were interacting online with lots of other kids when they were playing and they felt connected socially because they feel lonely. Who knows? It could be anything. Their position might be that they want to be online playing video games, but their interest could be that they want to connect more with people. And again, this is not about saying you don't have consequences or you don't have to be accountable for your behavior. But if you're looking for a real solution, you also have to take a deeper dive into why that behavior is happening in the first place. I'm curious, Janet, from your experience, you know, working with parents who are frustrated by things mm-hmm. like that, how does that land, you know, with you and, uh, you know, how hard is it for parents to make these shifts? Well, hearing you, Phyllis, is just like a balm to our soul, right? And I think it goes back to getting curious with your child, getting curious with them and being open and, hey, let's let's figure out what's going on here, playing Fortnite in the middle of the night. As you said, like maybe they were online and they were continuing that social whatever, or maybe the rules are too strict during the day and it's time to renegotiate and open up a little bit. And part of it is having the conversations and being open and willing to actually hear what your tween is saying. Because we get all these stories going in our heads about, oh, well, it's because of this or that. And, you know, a little bit of parent guilt, who knows, but to just let all that go and just be like a clean slate and be willing to hear what they actually have to say. And of course, all our listeners, hopefully by now have heard us enough saying, you know, talk in the car, don't expect eye contact, have good snacks when you want to have these conversations. And uh, somebody said once upon a time that it's about 2000 two-minute conversations. You're not going to have those deep conversations with your tween. So have lots of little conversations and gradually you get a better picture about what what is the need underneath playing Fortnite in the middle of the night. I I love that. And it reminds me of a story that a principal named Jason Ablin shared with me. Mm -hmm. Friend had shared it with him. And it goes to that idea of the 2002-minute conversations and having good snacks, his friend would around nine or 10 o'clock at night, just start baking cookies for no reason or cooking something that had a really delicious smell. And like the Pied Piper for four (laughs) teen boys would emerge from out of nowhere and they would congregate at the table. And sometimes I talked about nothing and sometimes I had serious conversations, but you got to do what you got to do to get those mm-hmm. conversations going. Mm-hmm. Brownies, brownies work well. <laughs> they make the house smell really good. And it's so funny, right? Like as a parent, you do feel like, I just got done cleaning up supper. 
How can they possibly? <laughs> they are hungry again. <laughs> Trust me. Yes, 100%. Your book lists 12 different superpowers. And certainly these are skills that, you know, we all can work on adults, children. I can see how it is helpful for a parent or an educator to, you know, read the book and get a broad overview. But let's say somebody doesn't have the time to uh, read the whole book right away. Is there like a superpower that you would recommend? Like, start here, dive in here, because this one really helps support the rest or is maybe easier to work on to begin with? That's a great question. It's also like asking me to pick a favorite child. Yeah, so which <laughs> one is it? Uh, which <laughs> one is it? <laughs> I'm going to give an unsatisfying answer, which is the right superpower to choose to start with is the one that your kid needs the most support in. If they're struggling to connect with peers, choose super belonging. If they are constantly getting in trouble, choose super bounce. If they are having an incredibly hard time adjusting to a new school, choose super flexibility. If they're Eeyore and they're negative all of the time and they have a problem for every solution, choose super optimism. If they have all sorts of goals, but they're insecure and fear is getting in their way, choose super daring. You know, and the list goes on, but really start with the one that your kid needs the most or the one that you're most interested in and think you could learn from it yourself and then help your child model it for your child. The nice thing about this book, too, is that it is really accessible. I mean, each chapter, there's short little sections. So you can, you know, keep it in the bathroom. You guys have heard me say this before. You know, keep it in the bathroom or keep it wherever you drink your coffee or quick eat some breakfast in the morning because you can pick it up and read one little section. And one section in a chapter is only a couple paragraphs. And, you know, get some ideas from that and then think about that as the day and, and figure out how to weave that into things. Like it is, you do not have to digest hundreds of pages before you have actionable stuff. There is actionable stuff on every page. Yeah. And you don't have to read it in order. That's, that's true. I'm, I'm also, I wrote it in a way that I'm hoping that if you have a sixth grader and they're dealing with that shift and that change, maybe at that point in time, super flexibility is the one that really screams out to you as necessary to read. And you might come back to the book later when your kid is going through puberty, if they haven't gone through puberty yet and read a different section or find that you need to help them in a different way at some point and use it as a resource. I just had an idea and maybe you're already working on this. Are you going to be writing or creating a workbook version of this for say middle schoolers themselves? I actually am doing something that I think is going to be even more effective. I am creating an interactive app for yes. tweens because what I found, especially for boys, we can ask them to do workbooks as, you yeah. know, and, and all day long, 24 seven, and <laughs> they don't want anything that feels like homework and they really don't want to write. So I'm trying mm -hmm. to, I'm working with a partner to create something that will be a little bit more user-friendly for the age group and hopefully for boys in particular. This is so exciting because you're right. Even as I said it, I'm like, a workbook is not the right way to reach this population app. And that's Perfect. really that's really why I've resisted it to this point. I feel like when it comes to reading and writing, we're going to get farther with parents modeling and teaching. Uh, with the tweens themselves, I would choose fiction before I would choose a workbook mm. to oh, impart nice. lessons. Yeah. Your book is out in August, Middle School Superpowers. I strongly encourage our listeners to find a copy. 
And where can they keep up with, you know, if you're going to be doing some talks, I know you do that and, you know, news of this app, like where can they find information? So the app is called Congruence and it should be ready in mid-August at the latest, maybe even earlier. Nice. Yay. At least the beta version. Yeah. (laughs) And if anyone is interested in that, they can reach out to me. In terms of talks, yes, I'll be all over the place. My website is probably a better way to reach me. Go to phyllisfagel.com. My email is there. And at some point I will hopefully upload a schedule of events and where I'll be. In the meantime, I tweet a lot at, at Pfagel. And I don't know if I'll be threads or whatever, you know, is the next iteration. Mm-hmm. But my handle on Instagram is also at Pfagel. Phyllis is so fun to follow online. And I love this book because at the beginning of each chapter, there are like some of the tidbits that she'll share online. Because as you guys know, middle schoolers just say some stuff. And oh, what was the one I read yesterday? It was the middle schooler who was saying, uh, I, while, while you're looking, my favorite, my favorite two, because I agree, middle schoolers are so funny. One was a girl who said to me, that she wasn't on student council anymore. And I said to her, really? Why? You loved it. And she said, well, mostly because someone else won. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. Here was the one that I shared with my husband last night. Sixth grader. Middle school is a lot like Animal Planet. You can befriend a predator and maybe get a chunk of antelope or you can get eaten. Yep. How insightful is that? And like, It explains why our kids do what they do. Why are you friends with that person? I want some antelope. I'm hungry. And for boys in particular, there's so much truth to that because there is protection in having a pack, especially if you're in a high status pack. Popularity is real power, especially Mm -hmm. for boys. Follow Phyllis on social media. I guarantee you're going to laugh. You're going to learn something get her book. And I'm really excited about your app, Phyllis. Thank you for all you are doing to support the middle schoolers directly. And then to help those of us who are parents and educators, coaches, the adults trying to help these uh, still forming superheroes navigate some of their challenges and complete their superhero journey. Thank you. And thanks for helping me share all of these messages with everyone. Thank you, Phyllis. If you have a tween or a soon-to-be tween or an already has been a tween, you want this book. Phyllis is such an expert, as you know, from this conversation. We hope you've enjoyed it. Please share it with a friend and a school administrator, a teacher. Let's get the word out on how we can support our boys. Thank you for being our listeners and supporting our sponsors. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com.